into the eye of God from a tree full of angels. For your prayer, your journey into God, may you be given a small storm, a little hurricane named after you, persistent enough to get your attention, violent enough to awaken you to new depths, strong enough to shake you to the roots, majestic enough to remind you of your origin, made of the earth yet steeped in eternity, frail human dust yet soaked with infinity. You begin your storm under the eye of God. A watchful, caring eye gazes in your direction as you wrestle with the life force within. In the midst of these holy winds, in the midst of this divine wrestling, your storm journey, like all hurricanes, leads you into the eye, into the eye of God, where all is calm and quiet, a stillness beyond imagining, into the eye of God, after the storm, into the silent, beautiful darkness, into the eye of God. All living things have a heart. I have come to the heart of this book. This chapter is the link between the first four chapters and the last four, because it is here that I offer you a way of gathering up the crumbs, a way of prayer that for me is pure gold. Here is a way to harvest the word of God. The monastic tradition to which I belong has always stressed the value of seeking intimate communion through persistent dwelling with and in the Word of God. We call this prayer Lecto Divina, Divine Reading. Lectio Divina is far more than what we ordinarily understand as spiritual reading. It is reading with the divine inner eye. It is reading with the eye of God, under the eye of God. It is reading with the desire to be totally transformed by the word of God rather than just to acquire facts about God. The incarnational aspect of Christianity reminds us that all of life is full of God. God is an all. Lectio Divina, then, is a way of reading God in everything. Under the eye of God, we read God everywhere, until finally we move into the eye of God. In the tradition of our desert fathers and mothers and early monastic communities, from which the practice of Lectio Divina slowly emerged, the emphasis was on the reading of the scriptures. This was the word of God par excellence. The disciple was encouraged to hover over the word of God in the scriptures as the spirit once hovered over the birthing world. In the midst of this hovering, the disciple is born from above. The one who is immersed in the word of God in the scriptures is eventually able to read God in all things. Divine reading becomes a way of life. With our inner divine eye, we read God in the poets, the saints, the philosophers, the earth, and our experiences and everything. The table of daily life becomes a banquet to which we are always invited. 
In the Middle Ages, those who began to develop Lecto Divina as a process leading to inner prayer life. I refer especially to the monk Guijo II, a 12th century Carthusian. A delightful letter on the contemplative life called The Ladder of the Monks, Guijo, divides the experience of Lecto into four phases or degrees, reading, meditation, prayer, contemplation. Reading, he says, puts food whole into the mouth. Meditation chews on it, digs for the treasure. Prayer extracts the flavor and helps us to get to know the treasure. Contemplation embraces and welcomes the thirsty soul. In contemplation, nothing is left except being in God. The first three degrees work so beautifully together that it is difficult to tell where one degree begins and the other ends. It's all part of one process leading to contemplative union with God. I could go into more detail about the wisdom I have gained from other spiritual seekers who have practiced Lecto Divina, but I want to stress the importance of trusting one's own experience in prayer rather than modeling one's life after experts. I choose to focus these reflections of my own experience of divine reading. My beginning device, advice to you is this, always read the scriptures with a heart ready to repent. Receive the storm that repentance brings. Let the holy winds toss you to and fro. You will be awakened to new depths as you wrestle with the life forces within. What seems like violence at first will lead you gently into the eye of God where all is calm and quiet, like the eye of a hurricane. When you finally surrender and stop fighting the winds, you will be carried by angels into the eye of God. There you will rest in peace and learn to see like God. It will be the great harvest of contemplation through the storm into the quiet. There is a quote from a Benedictine abbot, Marmion, that has become a guide for me as I spend time in divine reading each day. He says, read under the eye of God until your heart is touched, then give yourself up to love. I see these instructions as corresponding with Grigio's four degrees. Let us consider each in turn, plus a fifth degree of my own. Number one, read under the eye of God. This is a special and unique way of reading. It's a slow reflective reading, reading with a longing to be touched, healed and transformed by the word. It is not at all then a hurried reading. It is a quality reading rather than quantity. Just as when you sit down at the dinner table, you do not necessarily eat everything on the table. So too, when you approach the table of the scriptures, you are not there to cover territory. Nutritionists tell us that to get the full benefit from food we eat, we should chew slowly. In other words, eat contemplatively. The same is true of the food of the scriptures. To be fully nourished by the richness hidden in these words, you must hover over them slowly and reverently as one who is certain of finding a treasure. Your search for the treasure, though, is not a desperate, hurried, frantic search. 
Rather you search calmly and with assurance, you will find the treasure. You will be fed. You will be transformed. Remembering that we are reading under the eye of God is an immense help for our distracted hearts. We are naturally distracted creatures. We do not yet own the undivided hearts we yearn for. Remembering that we are reading under the eye of God can help us remain open to the possibility of that divine eye guiding us in our reading. If we accept the loving gaze of that eye, it will indeed hover over us as we read. It will penetrate us, heal us, and open our eyes to the truth. It will embrace us. It will look down upon us. It will look out from within us. It will read through us and we will be changed by its unfailing gaze in our direction. We do not always realize what a radical suggestion it is for us to read, to be transformed, rather than to gather information. We are information seekers. We love to cover territory. It's not easy for us to stop reading when the heart is touched. We are a people who like to get finished. Lectio offers a new way to read. Read with a vulnerable heart. Expect to be blessed in the reading. Read as one awake, one waiting for the beloved. Read with reverence. We are naturally reverent beings, but much of our natural rever- reverence has been torn away from us because we have been born into a world that hurries. There is no time to be reverent when the earth, with the earth or with each other. We're all hurrying into progress. And for all our hurrying, we lose sight of our true nature a little more each day. This is precisely why we need to believe in the eye of God hovering over us. We are not alone. There is one who is with us, who wants to give us back our reverence. There is one with us who wants to give us back the gift of time. Read the scriptures, then with reverence, Giving up the lie that you don't have time? Read under the eye of God. Read as one who has nothing but time. Before you read, you may wish to pray. All-seeing one, above me, around me, within me. Be my seeing as I read these sacred words. Look down upon me. Look out from within me. Look all around me. See through my eyes hear through my ears, feel through my heart, touch me where I need to be touched, and when my heart is touched, give me the grace to lay down this holy book and ask significant questions. Why has my heart been touched? How am I to be changed through this touch? All-seeing one, I need to change. I need to look a little more like you. May these sacred words change and transform me. Then I can meet you face to face without dying because I finally died enough. To die is to be healed a little more with each death until that final death when I'll be healed forever. It will be a healing that will last. Your words are healing, although they bring about my death. O eye of God, do not look away. Number two, until your heart is touched. In the Lecto Divina process, meditation begins when your heart is touched. 
Prayer being a response to God is a natural outgrowth of meditation. Read until your heart is touched. When your heart is touched, stop reading. After all, if God comes in the first verse, why go on to the second? A touched heart means God has in some way come. God has entered that heart. Begin your meditation. Meditation is the process in which you struggle with the word of God that has entered your heart. If this word wants to be a guest in your heart, go forth to meet it. Welcome it in and try to understand it. Walk with it. Wrestle with it. Ask it questions. Tell it stories about yourself. Allow it to nourish you. Receive its blessing. To do this, you must sink your heart into it as you would sink your teeth into food. You must chew it with your heart. To give you an example of how all of this works in an actual process of Lecto Divina, let's say I am praying with Psalm 61. I come to verse 3. To the rock too high for me, lead me. For some reason my heart is touched. I lay my Bible down and slowly repeat that line. To the rock too high for me, lead me. Why has this particular phrase edged its way into my heart? I ponder the reason for its coming. Then I recall, there's so much in my life right now that seems to be too high for me to reach. I need someone to lift me up. I'm reminded of an intense new desire, an immense urge to reach the heights of God that he has planned for me. This psalm verse is a cry for my heart, a cry for God to lift me to the heights since the experience of life has shown me I can't get there alone. I use imagery to help me as I pray. Suddenly, I see a huge rock far off in the distance. It's as though the rock is rooted in the earth yet touching the heavens. As I strain to reach the rock, an immense bird with kind and shining eyes, swoops down and lifts me on her wings. She carries me to the heights. She sets me on the rock and flies away. It feels as though she is still present, although she is gone. I'm filled with peace. I keep repeating, on the rock, too high for me to reach, God placed me. This line in various forms becomes my prayer mantra for the day. A mantra is a holy word a phrase, a sentence that stays in your heart longer and deeper than the rest of your words. It's a crumb, so to speak, out of the whole loaf. You take it with reverence and feed on it. You let it become a song in you throughout the, di- throughout the day. Long after my meditation, when I am mingling with people again, having meetings, typing in my office, driving to a parish workshop, struggling with retreat talks, I remember that prayer. It continues to save me. It continues its breath in me. Each time discouragement sets in, I whisper my prayer mantra, when the rock too high for me to reach, set me, lift me up, my God. This is how I pray with the mantras that come to me from my morning lectio. Those holy words are my companions during the day, the crumbs I feed on every hour. They help me to be more present to those I serve. Over and over I whisper the holy line until it becomes a part of me. 
it becomes a word made flesh. Often after moments of frustration and sin when I have not been present to others, I reflect back on my prayer mantra for the day and I realize that if I had fed on it more consistently throughout the day, my lack of presence would not have happened. You may ask if there is ever a day when my heart is not touched. Yes, there are many. On some days, each psalm or gospel passage is like the parched earth. There's nothing moist or life-giving to be found in any words I read. I see this barrenness as a message from God also. On days when nothing speaks to me, I know that I need to be very quiet. Be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46.10 God also speaks in silence and darkness. So when nothing comes, when darkness prevails, then too I lay my Bible down. My word is silent darkness. I carry the dryness, the emptiness, the silent darkness with me through the day. It is only in darkness that one can see stars. I have seen too many stars to let the darkness overwhelm me. Even though you are silent, still I will trust you. Number three, until your heart is touched, the prayer phase. In his letter on the contemplative life, Guijo speaks of prayer as that phase in the Lectio Divina process in which we beg of God the fruit of the treasure we found. Although I find that description of prayer attractive, I also find it limiting. Prayer is so much more than begging for a favor. Prayer is a response to God and to life. It comes from a heart that has been touched. How does a touched heart pray? After struggling with the word that touched it, my heart responds in many different ways. Sometimes in pure gratitude, it simply stands in awe, rejoicing. And that is prayer. Sometimes it weeps. Sometimes it sings. There are times it tenderly talks to God. At other times, my heart screams out in anger. Sometimes it looks upon the world with love or rushes out to do good deeds. Sometimes it kneels with outstretched arms. It turns and bends and bows. It takes a slow and careful walk. It begs for daily bread. It takes long and grateful looks at everything and everyone. Sometimes it simply yearns for God or yearns to know itself. All this is prayer. I strain toward God. God strains toward me. I ache for God. God aches for me. Prayer is mutual yearning, mutual straining, mutual aching. Prayer is the link between meditation and contemplation. Meditation, too, is a form of prayer. All real presence is prayer. In the Lecto Divina process, however, something happens between wrestling with God and disappearing into God that for me is prayer at its best. Something happens between chewing and digesting the word. What happens is tasting and responding. Prayer is tasting life. Prayer is responding to life. Prayer is a very important link between meditation and contemplation. It is the space between. In all of life, the spaces in between are the bits of life of utmost importance. 
Number four, then give yourself up to love. The contemplation phase. Giving yourself up to love is melting in God. It is falling into the hands of the living God with complete abandon. This is the deep interior prayer for which we have been striving. Here we must let go of our dependency on thoughts, words, and images. We go into the beautiful darkness. We stop struggling. We let the angels carry us. Surrender is the only word we know. We let go even of our yearning for God. Nothing is left except being in God. What could I say that would matter when I am in the heart of God? Beautiful darkness, contemplation, all words are digested. Contemplation is like going to heaven for a while. When I come back from contemplation, I feel very much at peace. I feel as though I have been dead and returned to life. And the life I've come back to isn't quite full as the death I was in. On Sundays, I have to say, I didn't quite make it to heaven. I couldn't give up enough of myself to get there. Number five, journaling. To the Lecto Divina process, I add a fifth part, journaling. Getting your heart on paper can be healing. I always write down the prayer mantra that comes out of my daily reading. The mantra is one I will carry with me throughout the day. I will breathe it in and out to the four corners of the earth. It will become a friend. Sometimes I begin journaling later in the day after we have become quite known to each other. Sometimes I journal in the morning when I know my mantra less well. Journaling is always a grace for me. In the second part of this book, I will share some of my Lecto journal with you. I journal because it is a way of celebrating my prayer. I journal because it is one way of being present to the life that unfolds on my path each day. I journal because I am filled with thoughts that I must do something with, lest I explode with beauty or pain or yearning. I journal because people come to me seeking ways to be holy, and since I have nothing of my own to give them, writing down what God gives me in prayer can be helpful. I journal because it is a way of saving the graced moments that God gives me to use in future letters that may be consoling to people in moments of discouragement, pain, or joy. As divine reading becomes a way of life for us, it is easy to see that it is more than a, of a process than a technique. For example, it's not necessary in this process to start with reading. I do not look at reading as the beginning, but rather as part of the process. But a frequent guest at the table of scripture, I have enough of the word of God stored in my heart that I can at any moment bring forth food for my prayer. I can begin with meditation or some other aspect of prayer. I can, I can begin by adoring. The secret of divine reading is to live my life around the word of God to such an extent that I am constantly aware of God praying in me. The word of God becomes at home in me. I am like a portable sanctuary filled with the real presence of God. B. 
being a temple of God, how can I but see God everywhere I look? Within your temple, Lord, I sing about your glory. I am that temple, but you are the glory. To encourage you to make this prayer process your own, I will review for you now the Lecto Divina process that I use for prayer. Be as original and creative in your own process as you wish. Let God lead you in this prayer. Number one, I begin with reading, if necessary or desired. Ordinarily, I select a specific book of scripture, a gospel or a letter. I often use the Psalms. I read a little each day since my goal is not to get finished. It often takes several months to complete a specific work I am praying with. There are times when the readings from the daily liturgy speak so strongly to me that I choose to use those for my Lectio. I have no set plan that is so rigid that it cannot be put aside for a while should God decide to come to me through some other channel, like nature or people. We ought not to lock God anywhere, not even in scripture. When I am reading, I read until my heart is touched. Sometimes I slowly read an entire chapter. Then I meditate on the words that spoke to me the most forcefully. I usually read for a very short time. My heart, when not distracted, is touched quickly and deeply. Sometimes I stop at the moment I feel a stirring within me, a being drawn to the word. At other times, I finish the reading passage and then return to the line that he called me to dwell. There are times when I do not read at all. I simply gather some fragments that are left over in my heart from another moment and use them for my daily prayer. One of the crumbs that seems to linger in my heart is a line from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. This prayer and many others are stored in my memory. They are of great assistance to me when I am too weary to read. Once I've chosen my scripture verse, the line that attracted my heart, it becomes my mantra for the day. I grapple with its meaning. I listen to it. I ask God and myself questions about it. I use images. This form of meditation does not require that I surrender images and thoughts. It encourages and welcomes them. Prayer flows naturally out of my meditation. Prayer is actually a part of meditation. Prayer slows me down and nudges me toward letting go of images and thoughts. It directs me toward my center. It is a movement from active involvement with God to quiet resting in God. It is a gentle slowing down of my inner motor. Contemplation is often spoken of as the highest form of prayer. It is the prayer of heaven. It is the beautiful darkness of trusting God to pray within me. It is interior prayer. Nothing external is left except the shell of my body. You may wonder how you can reach that eternal sacred place within where you are simply held by God. It is precisely because you are held by God that you need no thoughts or images of your own. Trust in God's embrace. As you begin your journey into this beautiful darkness, keep saying your prayer mantra slowly, letting go of a few more words each time. If your mantra is be still 
and know that I am God, you may eventually just end up with just one word, still, or no, or God. One word is enough to carry you into the sacred center. Gradually omit even that word. Be aware only of your breathing. Your breath is one of the most beautiful prayers that you own. You carry it with you everywhere you go. In order to enter the beautiful darkness, however, you must let go even of the awareness of your breath. Number five, journaling can be done whenever you have the time or feel, or feel the call. In the journal selections of this book, I share with you the scripture verse from my daily reading that touched my heart. In sharing with you my reflection on that verse, I am partially showing what went on inside of me during my meditation. Not all of my prayer can be shared with you because sometimes it is a wordless response, tears, silent gratitude a profound bow, outstretched arms, kneeling with my beggar's bowl, waiting. My contemplation I cannot show you, nor should I. If my contemplation, my deep being in God is healthy, it will show up in the way I live my daily life. You will see the results that contemplation in my life lived out. This entire divine reading process is the most integrated way of praying that I know. That is why at the beginning of this chapter I told you that what I was showing you was a way to pray that for me is pure gold. I see it as pure gold because I see it as a blend of two very rich traditions of spirituality, the Eastern and the Western. I have long felt drawn to the East what attracts me is the silent, beautiful darkness that seems to get more emphasis in the East than in the West. Looking at the West with a sharper eye, however, I also see that silent, blue, beautiful darkness tucked away in the folds of its history, like a treasure hidden in a field. It's waiting to be uncovered. My monastic tradition has someone dug it out of the earth for me, yet many around me seem to be starving for the silent, beautiful darkness the treasure of the interior life. In the West, it got hidden away in monasteries and convents, and alas, even there, it seems to suffer and be neglected. In this process of divine reading, I have discovered the lost treasure of the inner life. It is also the treasure of my lost childhood. There is something naturally Eastern and Western in all of us. In the West, at times, it seems unaware of a second treasure tucked away within its pages. That is the incarnational aspect of the richness of its prayer. Much as I love the silent darkness of the East, I could never give up the earthy, incarnational, creation-centered Western style of prayer. It is a joy to my heart. The first part of the divine reading process that I described is a way of prayer in which one is quite involved in the prayer. It is a holy festival of dance and tears, words and images. It is a drama for the soul to delight in and feed upon. But as is only fitting, this holy festival quiets down and melts into silent, beautiful darkness. The darkness, the beauty, and the silence are all part of the holy festival. It is one prayer spoken to one God 
It is struggle and rest embracing. In spirituality today, we often speak of two methods of approaching God known as apophic and cataphatic. Apophic means away from images. Cataphatic means toward images. The divine reading process includes both styles. Both styles are used to lead me to the center. My being with God in quiet darkness is so much richer because I have also been with God in the festival of word and images. My darkness and silence is deeper because I have been involved in the holy activity of bowing and dancing and begging, of gazing and singing and touching. My experience of divine reading began as a child long before I came to know scriptures as the word of God. The word of God does not wait for scholars to give out information. The word moves out ahead of the scholars, the adults, seeking open hearts, intent upon transforming souls into the likeness of God. The spirituality of my childhood is the one that I would most like to have restored. It was pure and fresh and honest. I read God everywhere. It was divine reading at its best. The forest was my place of solitude. The trees, like gods and goddesses, bent down to hear my prayers. I trusted them with all the secrets of my heart, and I was never disappointed. In their presence, I felt safe. Looking back at the poverty and wealth of my childhood, my memory becomes a ray of hope and pain. I have become too complicated in my prayer. Yet under the eye of God, all shall be restored. Is there a lost child in you? What pains me most these days is my inability to reach back into my years and touch the child I was. And yet, loving, living, stirring, deep within my soul, that child lives on. There are days when my adult ways turn tasteless in my mouth and the child of long ago starts pressing on my soul. On days like that, I long to touch that child again and let her take me by the hand and lead me down a path that has a heart and show me all the things that I've stopped seeing because I've grown too tall.